Well, we too greet you this morning, and you online, and you in the venue. And uh, can you imagine, we have to start writing a new digit, 2017. And we'll probably make a few mistakes the first couple months, but that's the way it goes. But uh, we do welcome you here this morning. And uh, as we look at the text here in Mark chapter 2, I want to kind of set up what's going on here. I like to imagine that Christ is getting ready to start out on a brand new journey. Jesus Christ is getting ready to choose his disciples. He has lived for 30 years now in Judea, 30 years, and mainly in obscurity. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, just recently before this passage, he moved to Capernaum where he's going to set up his headquarters. He was living in what they call an insula, a bunch of families together, and they, he called it his home. So here he is, 30 years old, getting ready to start a ministry that will last for three and a half years, and then he goes to the cross. So it's like a brand new year, a brand new time for Christ. He's going to spend 85 to 90% of his time now around the Sea of Galilee as he ministers and walking up through the Shephelah and the valleys. And here he walks into the text in Mark chapter 2 and we read. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, and he adds in Luke, to repentance. This is Jesus, and we're going to be using the word Matthew instead of Levi, same man. Jesus passes by Matthew. As you look back in the past year, no doubt all of you, many of you, have had somebody pass by your life that you're never going to forget about them. Maybe an experience you had with them, maybe something they said. You will never forget it just in a moment when they passed by. I remember in 1958, my father loaded us up in our gray station wagon, and we went off to L.A. We went down to hear Billy Graham preach. I'll never forget it. I was eight years old. And there in that huge Coliseum, we watched Billy Graham give an incredible message. But here's what I remember about that day. After the preaching ceremony and everything that took there, and we got out in the parking lot. My father, he took us, and we stopped at a Denny's. 
And I'll never forget what happened at Denny's. We were in there eating at Denny's and Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea and Cliff Burrows walked in. Well, everything got quiet and he passed by the tables and he shook our hands and we, for some reason, we had a, a Carols of Joy, it's a little hymn book, and Billy Graham signed his name in this hymn book. Never forgot it. Never forgot the man. In a moment, he passed by. 1972, I was on the top of Half Dome. That's a hard hike, folks. <clears throat> and I was huffing and puffing, and I looked behind me, and this big, tall guy was coming up the cables. And I'm such a basketball freak, I knew who he was immediately. It was Bill Walton. It was Bill Walton in 1972, the same year that Bill Walton and UCLA went 30 and zero, won it all, and I'll never forget chatting with this big, tall guy. In 1990, we had the privilege because of a few weird circumstances. We were over in Israel, and for some reason, Yatshik Shamir, the prime minister of Israel, picked a traveling group to have breakfast with him. We happened, our bus was chosen. They came into our motel room, they interviewed us, they asked us a lot of questions, they told us what we could do and couldn't do, and we went into the King George Hotel and had breakfast with the Prime Minister. I'll never forget it. And as he walked by our table, walked up to the microphone, and to see the passion and this man's voice for his homeland, I'll never forget it. I remember 20, when I was 22 years old, standing on a church steps, <clears throat> And I watched a 16-year-old blonde girl walk by in a brown dress with gold buttons. <laughs> and I'll never forget, <clears throat> Lord, would I ever have a chance with somebody like that? Wow. And yet none of these, it doesn't matter if you're talking about Billy Graham, Bill Walton, or even my, my lovely wife of 42 years, none of them ever made the difference in my life than the time on the Altamont Pass in August of 18th of 1967 when Jesus passed by me one more time. And I opened my heart up and he came in. It was on a watermelon load with my dad and from that day, everything changed. Sin was lifted, eternity was settled, peace within, a whole new life. Because Christ passed by. And as we walk into this text today, I want us to think about your life. If you're saved today, he's going to keep passing by your life. The same word goes to you as it does to the unsaved. Follow me. It'll never change. If you're in him today, it doesn't change. Follow me. Sometimes as a believer, we have a tendency to go our own way. We get off the path. We don't understand why we're, we're upset and there's no meaning anymore. We walked away from him. He's still in us, folks. 
We're his. If you're not in him today, if you've never come to Christ, you need to hear that word and respond to it. Follow me. Follow me. I think it's one of the greatest encouraging things that Christ says in the scriptures. Follow me. He doesn't do it with a a hateful look. He does it with love and compassion. Follow me. Here's the three proofs that he's going to be walking in and by your life in 2017. Number one, he knows exactly where you are. He knows where you are right now. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. He knows where you are. Over six million cities around the globe, he knows which one you're in. He knows what building you're in right now. He knows what row you're sitting in. He knows the seat you're sitting in. Jesus knows exactly where you are. It even gets closer than that. He has already counted every hair on your head. There's 157,150 hairs on your head, average. Some of you bring it down. <laughs> he knows, he cares that much about you. He knows where you're at. And as you walked in and looked at Matthew here, not only does he know where you're at, but he knows what's inside of you. He knows your hurts, your heartaches, your dreams, your desires, your sins, your hidden sins, your thought life, everything. He knows right now where you're at. He knows where everybody's at. He knew here in Mark chapter two that Levi was gonna be right there at the booth that morning. He knew in Luke 19 that Zacchaeus was gonna be up in a tree. He knew that Joshua, Joshua was gonna be standing by an oak tree when he was 120 years old in Joshua 24. He knew that Judas was gonna walk up to him next to an olive tree and give him a betrayal kiss. He knows, he knew, and he knows where we're at today. So let's look at Matthew. I think Christ walked by that booth many times in Capernaum. He might have gone and paid some of the taxes. And here's Matthew at a collector's booth tax. He is the publican tax collector. He is hated. He is despised. He is rejected. He is a no-account sinner in everybody's eyes. His family has rejected him. He was raised in a Jewish family. He's not even allowed to go to a synagogue. They are hated, folks. They are listed in the Bible with sinners. They extort people. They steal their money. And there he is, and Jesus walks by. Maybe as Christ looked at him, Matthew was getting ready to say, I've got this tax for you. You see, he's, he made a franchise. That's what they call a franchise, a mock tax. Not only did Matthew collect the general tax for the land and the property and give it to Rome, but then they had a flexibility. They could tax anything they wanted on anybody at any time. Boats, donkeys, horses, 
letters, packages, docks, fish, whatever. They can tax you and they can give any percent. Some of these men were so wealthy they had their own mafia group that carried out if you didn't pay. So here's this Galilean mafia guy called Matthew and he is looking back at Jesus. And Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. And in the accounts of the Gospels, we know that he not only answered him and followed him, but he goes back to his house. And the horror of horrors of everybody watching that happen, any Jew or anybody would have said, he is going to Matthew's house. You're kidding me. This good man that everybody has watched for 30 years Never did anything wrong. He walks into a sinner's home. And you can imagine the religious people of the day, what they were doing right now. I can see some of those religious people walking near that home, looking into the window, and even quoting scripture. Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful trying to get Jesus' attention that he's doing something terrible. But Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Wow. And right here is where the clash of religion and the true gospel of abiding grace will always meet. And Jesus is there. Let me explain that. If Christ would come to Modesto tomorrow, I think this would happen. People would see him and just in a few days they'd say, this man is way too holy, way too intolerant, way too righteous, way too legalistic, way too condemning, way too judgmental, way too out of touch with the culture, let's kill him. How would we treat Christ if he came? A few years ago, we had the opportunity to go down to church in the park, and I'll never forget the response of some people that knew we were getting ready to go down there, and they said, you're going where? And I said, we're going down to church in the park, and they said, why? Why would you go down to the church in the park, a bunch of druggies and alcoholics, and man, it's not safe to be around those kind of people. And I thought, well, that's where Jesus would go. <laughs> that's exactly where he would go. And I'm not saying he wouldn't walk into any of our churches, but that's where he went that day. He didn't become a part of Matthew's sin. He invited the sinner to be with him. And sometimes the lesson to us, too often, we shut up, shut out, and shut off the very people that need Christ. And Jesus that day in Matthew says, I will go into your home. And people watching him were just saying, how could he do it? Folks, he did it because he loved them. 
And I had to think in my life how many times if I have Christ in me and I have a love for others, not just the believers, but if I have a love for others, maybe then we'll see the potential that they too. God created them. He has a place for them. He has given them a gift and he wants to use it in the body of Christ. And sometimes we have a tendency, no, they would never, they're way too far gone. No, they're not. No one is. You wasn't. I wasn't. And that day, Jesus knew exactly where Matthew was at, and he called him. Not only that, Jesus knows who you are today. And I know it's kind of a rhetorical question that it's not to insult us like, who are you? Who are you? No. Who are you? Who are you today? In light of eternity, who are you? Why did Jesus stop by the booth? Not only because he knew where Matthew was at that day, but he knew who Matthew was. You see, I could walk by some people, and there's times in my life, I will confess, I will make a detour because I see somebody that just doesn't maybe match up to what I thought a normal human being should look like, so I'll make a detour. Why do I make a detour? God created them like he created me. Maybe there's a reason I should be passing by that individual at that moment in time to help them. Jesus knew who Matthew was. Did you know today that Romans 7 says that in me dwells no good thing? That's for all of us. Apart from Christ, there's nothing good about us. And Matthew has Christ walked up and he looks at him and he looks right down past the baked dirt and the earth suit and he saw Matthew's potential. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that with your children? Oh, they're just being disobedient all the time. No, have you looked into their heart and seen the potential? And that's what Matthew had Christ do that day. He knew who he was. He saw a man that would someday, that day, sacrifice money for meaning in life. In a nanosecond, when he got up and forever left the tax collector's booth, never went back, left all of the opportunity for money and gold, but he had meaning. Christ looks down into his heart and he realized that man can write 18,500 words and I'm gonna call it a gospel someday. He looks down into Matthew's life and he says, that man is gonna serve me in Ethiopia for 16 years and he's gonna die burning at a stake for the cause of Christ. And he's doing the same thing today in every seat here. He's looking into your life and into your heart and he knows exactly who you are. So who are you? 
There may be some here today that you feel like Humpty Dumpty and shame on me for mentioning a goose rhyme. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty took a great fall. And I guess he got shattered because it says all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't even put him back together again. Have you ever felt like Humpty Dumpty? That your life is so broken and so shattered, nothing's ever going to repair it. Or maybe you feel like you got pushed off the wall. Well, Christ knows exactly who you are and right now. Did you know that you're not who you are because of the way you feel this morning? You're not who you are because of the way you feel. If you are who you are because of the way you feel, every time you wake up, you're gonna be somebody different. I know. There's only two ways to die, and that's either in the Lord or in your sins. So there's only two people today. You're either in Christ or you're not in him. And if you're in Christ today, the Bible says you're a Christian. This is who you are. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and 12, you are raised with him through the faith of the operation of God. God did an operation on you. That is who you are. You are a saved individual. He took the incorruptible seed and he placed it in there. He did the operation by faith. Bible says in Colossians 2 and 10, you are now what? You are complete in him. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's who you are. And sometimes, and I don't know why we get this way, sometimes we, we start to say, well, I'm just a dirty, rotten, no account sinner, failing all the time, oh, but I'm saved by grace. Why do we talk like that? That's not who we are. Do you know who you are today? As you read the scripture, I would understand that you are holy, you are blameless, you are accepted, you are saved, you're redeemed, you are justified, you're a royal priesthood, you're adopted son of God, and you go on and on and on. That is who you are. What a, an encouraging joy to know as we look at him today that we are his. Do we still sin? Absolutely we do. We have a problem with moral filth, but we go to him because he's our father. What a joy to know that who we really are. It's one of the great encouragements for the believer of, is knowing exactly who you are. Let me uh, maybe illustrate it like this. Let's say that, that last Christmas, his father and the son uh, they're out there by the street and they're playing catch football and a little Johnny runs right out in the street again like he's been told many times, don't run out in front of cars. So he runs out in front of the street, a car just about hits him and dad takes Johnny into the home and he corrects him and disciplines him. 
Johnny starts crying, runs upstairs, goes into his bedroom. They get ready to have the family, the Christmas meal, and do the gifts, and where's Johnny? So dad goes upstairs, here's Johnny underneath the bed, crying. Dad gets down, looks under the bed, says, Johnny, what's going on? We're getting ready to eat. He says, Dad, I'm, I'm too wicked of a boy. I'm a terrible boy. I never listen to you and Mommy. I sin all the time. I'm not worthy to come and eat with you. I'm not worthy to have the gifts. And Dad says, Johnny, stop. You're my son. You're always going to make mistakes, and Daddy does too. But I love you so much, I don't want you to get hit by a car. And I will correct you, and I will do things to save you, to have a good life. And how often do we do the same thing? We just think, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. God don't love me. No, he's our father. He's not our adversary. The devil is our adversary. And our eternal father in heaven will do everything he can for us because he loves us. In my office, I have 312, which I call them new creature confessions. 312 of them. Let me just mention a few. This is who you are. If you, you look in the promises of God's word, it says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You belong to God the Father. You've been justified by faith. You've been saved from the wrath to come. You've received the gift of God's righteousness. You have been raised to walk in newness of life. You have fruit unto holiness. You've been adopted by Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You are a joint heir with him. That's 11 out of 312. If you ever get down, just open the word of God and these confessions are yours because that's who you are. You are an adopted son. Now on the other side, there may be some here, God loves you just as much because he created you but if you've never responded when he says, follow me, and you've never made a beeline to the cross, this is who you are. <clears throat> You're dead, doomed, depraved, and damned. And he wants to come into your life. And the opportunity is right now. Because the next one says, Jesus knows exactly what you need. Not only does he know where we're at, not only does he know who we are, but Jesus knows exactly what you need right now. He knows what you need as a believer. He knows the things you're struggling with right now. He knows as you walk into a new year what you're gonna face. And we need Jesus. I put in the notes that we need Jesus because Matthew needed a stand-in and so do we. What do we mean by that? <clears throat> we needed somebody to stand in our place because of our sin. And he did, folks. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you place your faith in Christ, you're saved today. You've confessed his name. But you, need, you needed that stand-in like Matthew. We needed a substitute. We can't do it. No man ever has. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. 
Jesus lived the law. And when you came to Christ, the law was fulfilled at that moment in time. And you're his. We needed to stand in. And yet man says today, well, what I'm doing is just an accident. No, it isn't. It's an abomination to God. It's sin. Well, no, it's just a, an error I made. No, it's iniquity. It's enmity against him. And we can talk about all of these excuses. It's and we needed to stand in. And Jesus stood in. As we look at Matthew in the home there that day, I like to think that um, not only did he pass by and he realized that he needed to stand in, but that day he passed from death unto life because he invited him in. So he not only needed to stand in, but he needed to stand by there's not a Christian here that would raise your hand and say, well, I accepted Christ and I don't really need him anymore. No, we need him every day. And you know what I'm talking about. We not only needed him for saving grace, but we needed him for sustaining grace. I get one inch away from the cross and I am one pathetic individual. I need Christ every day. And we need to know this. No one here has ever gone too far or is too far gone that you don't need him and he will meet your need. I'm gonna say it, and it's a simple statement. All you need is Jesus. He will stand in your place for you and save you and he will be there every moment of the day as you walk your walk with him. All you need is Christ. And sometimes we don't realize he's all we need until all, he's all we have. Have you ever been there? And then I think we need to understand that we need somebody to um, stand up for us. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 and 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This is the love of our Father. He not only saved us, he not only has the, the given us the gift of the Spirit and walking with us, but he's interceding for us. He'll never take his eyes off of us. That's proof right there. He is interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father. And then there's times when you know you sin and I sin and then we call him an advocate. He says if any man sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we have a, an advocate with the Father. My wife Heidi is seated right here. <clears throat> And we are not in our home right now. Our home is eight miles from here. Our home could be burning right now. And if our home would start on fire right now, I'm gonna tell you what would happen. We don't know anything about it. But we have neighbors. We have a fire department. Somebody would call and that fire truck would go and attempt to put the fire out. And we don't know anything about it. 
That's intercession. And there are times in our life we don't even know how to pray and he intercedes for us. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. That is how much he loves us. And the result of all of that, when he stands in for us, he stands by us, and he stands up for us. The beauty of that, folks, is when we do follow him in faith believing, then we have the privilege to stand out for him. Every day you wake up, and every day that you lift your your Lord up, and you praise him, and you live for him, and you honor him, you're doing what the scripture says. You're glorifying him. That's the reason you and I were created, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What's the wisest thing that Matthew ever did in his life? The wisest thing that Matthew ever did in his life is when he got up, he followed him, he brought him home. The wisest thing that I have ever done in my life was on the top of the Altamont Pass on August 18th, 1967. On a watermelon load, I set up I looked over at my dad and I said to Jesus, come in. The wisest thing you will ever do because he knows where you're at, he knows who you are, and he knows what you need. The wisest thing you'll ever do is when he asks the question, follow me, you will get up and you will follow him. Some of you need to do that. And I... I know the power of God and what he does. An absolute joy when you see sinners come to him. The miracle of the gospel is so simple. It is simply Jesus reaching down and lifting up something which is nothing like we were and taking that nothing and connecting it to someone who is everything and your life changes forever. Jesus passed by. And you know, we end today where we began. Where do we begin? We began with Matthew at a tax collector's booth here in Mark. And Jesus walks by and he says the words, follow me. And that's where we end today. That question will never quit until we are raptured home or he receives us by death. It'll never quit. Every morning you wake up and you have a a conscious awareness of life. He is whispering, follow me today. Follow me. And if you're not saved, he's saying the same thing. Follow me. Come to me. Follow me. And I think we need to take the lesson of Matthew real serious in 2017. He opened his heart. He opened his home. He opened his hands, and he had great joy the rest of his life as he lived with Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that somewhere in the crossroads of all of our life and everybody here, you pass by. Thousands, millions have responded and they've been adopted. And there's thousands and millions, Father, that still need you. And Father, we're so confident through the authority of your word, you just keep passing by. And Father, may we continue to pray for family and friends and, and uh, companions of youth or whoever needs you that we, we are bold and courageous with the word that we continue to share you. Now when you do pass by, maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's someday in this year that this individual here or that one there will open their hearts and they will get up and follow you and invite them in. Father, we are reminded of the old prophet of old, maybe it's Habakkuk, who said, revive your work in the midst of the years. And Father, we pray for revival not only in all of our lives this year, but we pray that some hearts would be revived as they come to Calvary. Bless our day, bless our year. We're so grateful for the power of your word and the power of the indwelling spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.